What can business learn from an Olympic sports psychology consultant and performance coach? Simon Hartley coaches genuinely ambitious people such as CEOs, elite athletes, sports coaches and entrepreneurs to go beyond ordinary and become exceptional, perhaps even world class. For over 20 years, he's been working with and studying world-class performers, teams, leaders, and organizations to understand what differentiates the best in the world. He then helps adopt those principles so that you become great too. Do you feel like there's more to get, like you haven't realized your full potential? Do you feel like your team isn't delivering its full potential? Would you like to become exceptional, even world-class in your field? Are you serious about becoming the best you can be, knowing that it won't be easy? He has had the huge pleasure of coaching multiple world champions, world record breakers, medal-winning Olympians, championship-winning teams, and world-leading businesses, executives, and entrepreneurs. We talk about mindset, positivity, and resilience. Please enjoy the episode, and thanks for being a fab listener. Support me by subscribing and telling your friends. Welcome to the Johnny Ross Audio Experience. I'm Johnny Ross, founder and digital marketing strategist of Fleet Marketing. Each podcast, I'll be bringing you an expert to inspire you, to give you some great business growth takeaways, and to get you thinking about marketing and the bigger picture of how businesses can improve, adapt, and grow. I look forward to sharing this with you on each podcast. So here we go. Hi, uh, welcome to another live Q&A. Uh, I hope you're all well. Thanks for joining us, uh, especially if you're listening to us as well on the podcast. Um, we've got Simon Hartley with us today. He is the founder at B World Class. How are you, Simon? Very well indeed. Thank you very much. It's good to have you here. Thanks for joining us. Um, so, uh, yeah, as I said, welcome if you're joining on the podcast. We're live streaming. We're on Facebook. We're on YouTube. We're on LinkedIn Live. Uh, if you've got questions for Simon, please do ask. If you're watching the replay, maybe put hashtag replay so I understand how people uh, listen or watch this, uh, and that will be really helpful. Um, we're going to be talking about uh, mindset, positivity, resilience, Um you know, we're also talking about uh, certainty. People want certainty. Um, but Simon, you're not sure certainty is there. And it's a bit of a, an illusion at times. Um, talk, talk, talk to me about uh, talk to me about certainty being an illusion. Yeah, that, and that's the way I honestly see it. And it's the way I describe it as an illusion, because I think we like to think that we've got certainty. Now, if we rewind the clock back just over a year, um, a lot of people would have been very certain or felt certain about what was going to happen in 2020. You know, maybe they've got these targets that they're going to hit. They've, they've got the business plan locked down, you know, whatever it is. They, they, they can see it happening. You know, they think they've got certainty. And then, of course, COVID comes and knocks us sideways. And we realize we didn't have certainty at all. Um, and that's that's how most things are in life. You know, certainty is this uh, almost like I describe it as a mental comfort blanket. Um, it's it's this picture that we've got in our head and, and the confidence that we have that that picture will come true. And and 
if we feel very, very confident, we would describe that as being certain. But actually, if we think about it, anything that's in the future can't really have certainty wrapped around it. Not really. Yeah. Yeah. And it, and so that's that's how it becomes that illusion. Take, yeah. I want to go right back. We're going to talk about a lot of different things. Uh, as, uh, as I said, a lot of it around mindset, positivity, resilience, um, executive uh, leadership training and coaching, I guess. Um, but you've also got a, a new digital product, which we'll get onto as well, um, which uh, is a, a treasure trove of, of great stuff, I believe. Um, so we'll come on to some of these things. And hopefully, I assume we'll give some tips and tricks maybe for how to get the right mindset and, and resilience. But mm. just take me back to how you got into this, because because I know along the journey, um, you've trained with you've you've trained some uh, and coached some amazing Olympians, which I know we're not allowed to talk about their names necessarily. But um, mm. but just talk to me about how you even got into that, and 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 maybe just some of the 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 highs and lows of of uh, of those experiences. Mm. Well, yeah, mo most people ask how on earth do you get into the field or a field like sports psychology, um, and the truth is, um, I failed some exams. That was the uh, the first thing I did. I wanted to be a pilot when I was a kid, um, and uh, and fly aeroplanes in the navy, but uh, I failed my flying aptitude test, um, and because I'd failed that, I failed maths and physics, which I'd taken at A level, and because uh, I was never interested in them, I just needed them to fly aeroplanes. So once I failed my flying aptitude test, failed them, and I had to have a rethink. So I decided to study something that I genuinely loved and was passionate about. So I took sports studies at A-level, and I did really well in it. So I went to university and studied sports science. And sports science is a fairly wide discipline. There's uh, physiology in there. There's biomechanics, you know, the mechanics of how the body moves. There's sociology in all sorts of things. Uh, but the one that really grabbed me was psychology, sports psychology. And I didn't expect that when I arrived at university. I expected to come out as a physiologist. Um, but sports psychology just grabbed me. It, there, there were some questions that just uh, piqued my intrigue and piqued my curiosity. So I found myself specialising in it. And then when I came out of university, I, I also started working in professional sport uh, very quickly. Um, so I combined these two and pretty early on, and, and actually sports psychology was a really young discipline at the time. Um, it's, it's matured over the last sort of 25 years or so, but, but back then it was a very, very young discipline. So I went out there and I, was, I started working with athletes and sports teams. And probably for the first, uh, I guess, five, six, seven years of my career, I was exclusively working with sports teams and then started to branch out beyond that and started working in all sorts of fields, business, education, charities, healthcare, military, you know, all sorts of fields. Because one of the uh, things it took me bizarrely long time to, to learn is that this stuff isn't sports psychology and it never was. It was always human psychology. Um, when I applied it only to athletes and sports teams that I thought of it as sports psychology, but the truth is it, it applies to all of us. It's the same stuff. How, how, how did you get your first gig you know how can you remember going right back how how um how you ended up being in front of an athlete and 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 helping them uh become a a world-class uh, uh a medal winner mm. so these things usually have small beginnings as you can imagine um whilst i was at university uh, at the end of my first year undergraduate um, because I studied in Leeds um, at uh, what was then called Leeds Metropolitan, it's now called Leeds Beckett's University, um, I, I went down to Headingley to the uh, rugby league ground. 
I was looking for a, a rugby league coaching qualification because that's what I was playing. You know, I was a, I was a rugby league player. So um, I was looking for a coaching qualification and I, I went into the club to ask who deals with that sort of stuff. And I met the guy who was their fitness coach. Um, and he saw me dressed head to toe in my, you know, sports gear and asked me if I was studying sport. I said, yes, I was. And, uh, and he invited me to come in and just, you know, uh, help him out in academy sessions, tidy up the clipboards, put the weights away at the end of the session, you know, all the genuine skivvy jobs. And uh, I said, yeah, I'd love to. So we were working together for two or three weeks. Um, I was working uh, at, at what was then called Leeds Rugby League. It's now called the Rhinos. Um, and uh, after three weeks or so, uh, and I would ask him all these daft questions like, why do you do this exercise before that one? And have you ever thought about turning them around, combining them differently? Because, you know, you'd, you'd prime the neurological system before you then use the muscles and all that sort of stuff. And he kind of went, oh, uh, never thought about it like that. Um, so after a few weeks, he invited me to work with the first team. He also worked with Yorkshire cricket. He then went on to work with England cricket. And so whilst I was in my second year undergraduate, I was designing fitness testing programs for England cricket and writing off-season training programs and all of those sorts of things. So I had this sort of very early baptism into elite sport, professional sport. And uh, once you've got that and you've proven yourself, you know, if I if I go out even now and uh, and talk to somebody I've never worked with, their first question will be not what qualifications have you got, but who have you worked with? Who can I talk to to find out whether you're any good or not? And uh, and that, of course, gave me a foundation so that I could say, well, talk to these guys and find out if I'm any good. And if you get a good, uh, you know, good rep, then you've got another set of people that you can work with. And gradually I started to work my way up this little ladder from doing things for free. Um, you know, probably my first two or three years, I got paid in T-shirts and a tracksuit and a pair of socks and all that sort of stuff. Um, and uh, and but that was my apprenticeship, if you know what I mean. It was uh, it was my grounding, early grounding, where you develop all those critical skills that you need to go and stand in front of teams of elite sports players or athletes. And uh, and yeah, I, I went from doing free stuff to being you know doing that alongside my master's degree. Um, I would work part time with you know, uh, work with York City Football Club for a bit and York Rugby League. And that got me a, another little step higher. And and gradually that extended. Um, and then I was working in Premiership Rugby and, uh, you know, worked in Premiership Football and worked in the Olympic programmes. You worked with uh, Crystal Palace and uh, Sunderland when they were in the Premier League and Sheffield United. Yeah. Uh, and, 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 several uh, and you were all, yeah. also Lotus Formula One, you were saying, when we were, we were just speaking earlier. Yeah, so I, I, one of the things I wanted to do was to work with and study world-class teams. So I contacted a few and uh, and just said to them, you know, I'm working with a range of world-class teams. And, and because I was writing a book, in the process of writing a book about world-class teams, um, I was working with lots of very, very diverse teams. Some of them were sports teams, um, you know, some yacht crews and, uh, you know, I was – talking to Red Arrows team leaders and stuff like that, you know, just trying to find out what makes a world-class team work and uh, and opened up some conversations. And some of those people said, oh, that sounds interesting. Could you come on, spend some time with us then? Can you come and work with us? And uh, and actually it was the, the race team manager at, at Lotus who, um, who ran the pit crew. And I was really interested to find out what makes a pit crew work. Um, it fascinated me. Um, and he was also interested in how team working and psychology might help them to operate better and, and perform better as a team. 
so so it's when you find lots of these synergies that that the, you know the magic happens and, and people say yeah that'd be brilliant could you come and do that stuff, sort of stuff with us please um so yeah so so it also from my point of view was a huge it was a brilliant education um into the the world-class teams and the dynamics that support world-class teams um and help me understand that there are these six key characteristics that world-class teams have and that therefore if we understand those any team can adopt those and 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 a lot of the people that you work with, or, or certainly uh, back then, or, or, or certainly on the sports side, uh, are quite young. Um, the the teens, uh, you know, uh, is that right? What's the sort of the demographic of some of those? It, it, it does start quite young, I assume. Uh, so within yeah, Olympic programs and professional sports teams, there's usually a sort of a, an age range. Most of them probably finish in their early thirties ish. Um, late 20s, early 30s, uh, but the the programs usually start from maybe 14-ish upwards, um, yeah. seriously. So lots of the Olympic programs will start bringing junior athletes together in camps and squads at about that sort of age. Um, you know, academies in, in football and rugby clubs and whatever, they tend to develop as well, or cricket, they, they tend to develop um, players from around that sort of age um, and, and, the, and look to progress those into the professional ranks, those sorts of players. So, yeah, th there's always, you know, if you look at an organisation as a whole and you're looking to create sustainable success, it's great to work with the professional club, you know, the, the pro players who will actually walk out on a Saturday afternoon uh, and, and go and play. But we've also got to look beyond that. Yeah. And and I know you've been asked this question before. How do you go from training 14, 15-year-olds to um, executive uh, leaders, you know, C-suite level, uh, you know, of some really big organizations, you know, mm. is there not a, a huge disconnect there or, or actually, um, is, is there some very similar traits? Yeah. The fundamentals are exactly the same. Um, you know, if we were looking at, for example, uh, our mindset and how we get the best from our, our headspace, there are some fundamentals, um, you know, focus, confidence and motivation are, are three of those fundamental ingredients that we need. And it doesn't really matter whether you're a 14 year old cricketer or whether you're the chief exec of a global organization. Focus, confidence and motivation are still critical, three critical components that you're going to build your mindset upon. So um, and, and the way that we enable our brain to become focused and, build, you know, control confidence and motivation is is also the same the motivators might be different um and uh, and they might be at a different stage on their journey but it doesn't really change the the key components that we need one of the uh, olympians that we can talk about is chris cook uh, he's a double olympian uh, swimmer mm. seventh fastest in the uh, in what was it seventh fastest is that right so when he, when he finished his career he was seventh fastest in history in the event yeah Wow, um, and uh, I mean, of course, the Olympic programs tend to break records year after year after year after year. Of course, so of the course. record, you know, seventh fastest in history when he retired probably won't be now. Well, I know it won't be because I think Adam Peaty's beaten that seven times on his own. Um, but uh, but yeah, he was at the time. And and the really interesting thing about his journey is that he started off being nowhere in the world, um, not even really on Team GB's radar. Um, right. And, uh, and uh, he, he had to um, apply to get into the elite swim program in the city of Newcastle. And at the first time, you know, first time he went for it, he failed. 
Um, it was it was linked with a scholarship at the University of Northumbria, and his academic work was good enough to get the scholarship, but his swimming wasn't strong enough to make the elite squad. Um, and this was him at what nineteen years old, um, which in swimming terms is considered quite old. I mean, it's not quite gymnastics. If you haven't made it by the age of eight in gymnastics, you've been written off. But um, <laughs> but swimming's not that far away. So um, to to not really be in that elite group at aged kind of 18, 19, um, and then go on to become seventh fastest in history, um, shows that he made a, an enormous transition in that period. And also importantly, it wasn't raw talent. You know, he, he wasn't successful because he just happened to be great from the moment he stepped into a pool. Um, that wasn't the case either. In fact, he openly describes himself by saying um, uh, when he was in his junior swim class, um, there, were, there were five of them in there and he was fifth best. Wow. <laughs> Gosh. So um, the, the psychology side of things, what's, I, I'm, I, I'm fascinated with psychology um, and I'm curious, what are the, the things that um, excite you about psychology? What are the things that, uh, what are the things that, that, what does it mean to you, I guess? And um and 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 is there some fascination with with psycho with human psychology uh, and, so, and and your take on it? Well I I'm curious just to get under the skin of that a bit. Yeah. Well, I, I mean human beings are fascinating. Um and uh, and I think that's what makes, from my point of view, human psychology such an, an intriguing topic area. Um I, I think you know we would struggle to know everything about human beings or human psychology or you know, even even if we look in the mirror. Um, there are very few people that really, really know themselves, yeah. and yet they've inhabited their own body for decades and their yeah. own mind. Um, so, so it is absolutely fascinating. Um, I, I also have started to realise the impact that understanding it and being able to engineer some of this stuff has. You know, if whether it's our own performance or you know, if if we if we're a leader, our team's performance, most of those issues that we come across start inside our minds mm. um and you know i talk to business leaders about all the problems that they've got and the challenges and the frustrations in business and really they boil down to people challenges um even if it's a technical challenge it it was designed by a person it's operated by a person or whatever it's it ends up being a person challenge at the end of the day um so so if we can understand the power of of really truly um, comprehending what goes on between our ears, um, and start to be able to engineer that, then then we find something that's that's going to have a massive impact on us and others. That's that's really where my my passion for it comes from. So is this is this about uh, people getting to know themselves better, or is it about uh, people um, uh, using uh, the knowledge of it, I guess, to, to, uh, the, the, the word that I'm looking for isn't there, but to leverage, is it, is it to leverage or is it to, to get to know oneself better? Is it a bit of both perhaps? Yeah. I mean, I think self-knowledge is, uh, is one of the fundamental, uh, kind of key elements of our mindset. I mean, right at the core of our, of our self, um, I see uh, what I describe as three interwoven strands of rope, um, knowing ourselves, being ourselves, and being proud of ourselves, like loving and accepting ourselves. And these are at the core of our self. 
many people, um, I, I describe it as having a hole where self-worth should be. Um, and this causes us all sorts of challenges. Um, uh, usually, if we've got that hole there and we feel insecure, we're not comfortable in our own skin, then there are another, a load of knock-on um, sort of uh, impacts that that has. Our ego starts jumping up and down, usually. Um, we might become defensive and, um, uh, you know, our, our ego, people sort of misunderstand ego often and think it's it's sort of related to being egotistical. Uh, it's not. Our ego is the part of our psyche that gets us dressed in the morning. Um, it's bothered about what we look like and what people think of us and that we brush our hair and, you know, all of that sort of stuff. Um, it's it, it, it's the outward projection. It's what we want people to believe about us. Um, so so if if we've got this little hole in here where self-worth should be, then the ego is trying desperately to fill it. So the yeah. ego is looking for validation. It's looking for recognition. It's looking for success. You know, I, I've known athletes that try and fill that hole by stuffing medals into it, if you know what I mean. Yeah. I'm getting trophies. And uh, I know salespeople that try and do it by hitting sales targets and getting commissions and buying the fancy watch or the big car or whatever. Um, you know, whatever it is that we're trying to do as human beings often is trying to fill that hole. Um, and and for me, self-knowledge is one of those critical three strands that, that allows us to have that self-worth, that sense of self-worth, genuinely just being comfortable in our own skin, happy to be ourselves. Um, and, and that's and, core foundations. And and uh, uh, so that's about uh, understanding oneself. And then and then on the leverage side, is there uh, that must be around uh, understanding other human psychology uh, to then is that right to then to then become a better leader to then become a better you know if I'm now bringing it into the business world for example um, mm. is that is that is uh, is that what you tap into? Yeah, to a certain extent. Yeah, uh, I think if we can better understand ourselves and others, we've got a far better chance of uh, of being a leader, for, of performing ourselves, enabling other people to perform. And so if we can understand our own motivation and understand somebody else's, if we can understand how we communicate and how others communicate, um, if we can understand what we're both trying to achieve, um, then, then we've got a really good start point to work with other people. Um, and I think a lot of the disconnect off happens, um, and, and I, I'll say kind of particularly in, in business teams, but it's not exclusively, is when, for example, kind of my direction takes me over here and your direction takes you over there, or we've got these competing priorities, or, or I don't understand the, your wavelength, I don't understand the way you think. Um, yeah. And we get massive disconnects between people. So... So you're right. There is a combination of understanding ourselves, but also understanding how other people are operating. Yeah, and uh, right at the beginning, we talked about uh, certainty being a, a, a bit of an illusion. Right now, um, the, going through uh, the pandemic that we're in, there's sort of lots of currently there's a huge amount of positive messages coming. Things mm -hmm. are are going to get back to some kind of normal. Um, so. Am I right to assume that a lot of people are now in the position where they feel there's some certainty coming, um, but are they perhaps letting them uh, self uh, setting themselves up for some kind of fall? Maybe, yeah. Um, if I think back to the end of last year, you know, sort of Christmas time around New Year time. Um, I saw a lot on social media, heard lots of people saying, well, at least 2020 is behind us. 
At least yeah. that's that finished with. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, you know, and, and at the time I was, you know, I, I usually take the view that uh, the, the difference between New Year's Eve one year and New Year's Day the other is, is a few hours. <laughs> uh, really, honestly, what's going to change over a few hours? It's like saying there'd be a massive change between the 12th of uh, July and the 13th of July. Uh, you know, what, what particularly do we think is going to change? And I was, uh, you know, I was quite vocal at the time saying, I'm not sure that's that much is going to change, honestly. Uh, it won't change drastically. So it wasn't a huge surprise to me that, you know, we, we might have gone back into lockdown at the beginning of 2021 and that things haven't really changed that much at all. But part of the issue, I think, is that people were desperately looking for the light at the end of the tunnel um, because for them, they didn't like being in the tunnel. The tunnel was dark. Yeah. The tunnel was cold. Yeah. The tunnel was scary. I, I want to be out of the tunnel. So if somebody can kind of tell me that there's a light at the end of it, I'm, I'm going to jump all over that. You know, I'm going to link my hope in with it, emotionally connect myself with that. But of course, we put ourselves in a reasonably vulnerable, vulnerable position because that's not under our control. So we've kind of tied our emotions to something that's not under our control. Um, and, and it's almost like strapping yourself into a roller coaster. If it happens to go up, great, I'll feel good. If it happens to dive, oh dear. Um, and and I'm a much bigger fan of taking control of the wheel, you know, um, and, and directing the thing yourself, deciding on how you think and feel, no matter what happens around you. Yeah, which which makes perfect sense. Yeah. I, I I agree with that. Uh, you, one of the things that's currently that you that you've said to me um, is that uh, there's a, a a lack of mojo around at the moment. But mm. what was surprising to hear from you is that even Olympians sometimes don't want to get out of bed and and you know do do that exercise that they're meant to do today um mm -hmm. and 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 you see that across C suite and MDs and and some really ambitious people uh, who people who are, are typically ambitious but mm -hmm. for some reason have some off days and 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 lose that mojo what's tell me more about some of the experiences that you're seeing and 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 how people uh need to get out how people well i guess i guess first of all are they aware of it mm. so so are some of these are some of these ambitious people even aware <laughs> that they've lost some mojo yeah <laughs> and secondly um you know how so how do they become aware and secondly how do they they break that yeah so and, and i i started to detect this probably uh, you know maybe second third week in january um there was uh, i think a combination of People were looking forward to a different 2021, and it wasn't different. Um, so they they probably had a bit of an, an emotional knock from that. Um, it was a bit Groundhog Day. You know, we're back in another lockdown. It's dark. It's cold. We can't do anything. Which, we can't go anywhere. I, and I'm so sorry to interrupt because I hate interrupting people when they're in flow, but that's my concern for June, July time, that, that people, you know, it, like you were saying, it's 2021. People will be thinking June's like it'll all be back to normal. So sorry mm. to interrupt your flow, mm. but that yeah, that 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 was what I was trying to tie in. Yeah, yeah. So and one of the issues I think here is that um, we we as humans, particularly in the modern world, um, have become so used to and 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 almost now need something to look forward to. 
And for many people, that's something to look forward to was a holiday. It was a little weekend adventure. It was going to the pub or whatever. And the absence of that causes a real issue. Um, and the, you know, when you're asking how do people detect this? Um, so I would consider myself, you know, one of those really ambitious, high performing people. Um, and, and I, like I said, I know lots of uh, Olympians who have also had moments of going, do I have to get out of bed? Um, my own little sort of spark was that uh, I was I was preparing. Uh, so it was kind of a Monday and I had a huge couple of weeks of uh, delivery work with clients. So um, loads of coaching uh, work, uh, lots of teams, you know, kind of exec team sessions and stuff like that. And I was looking at it and there was almost like this sort of mountain of stuff that I had to do, preparing and delivering sessions. And, and that was the issue. I looked at it and it was just stuff for a moment. And I kind of went, oh, interesting. I'm only seeing the what here. I'm only seeing stuff in front of me, jobs that need doing things on a things to do list. And, it, and and immediately I kind of went, well, why aren't you looking forward to it? Well, the answer is you've lost connection with why you're doing it. So you can see what, but you can't see why anymore. And, and, and it, you know, I, I, I've come to understand over the course of the years that, that there are a couple of elements of why. Uh, one is our vision and one is our purpose. So, is it an exciting vision? Is it something that we're actually looking forward to doing? Because it's it's taking us in the direction we want to travel. Part of the uh, the challenge around Groundhog Day is it doesn't feel like we're going anywhere. It feels like we're on a bloody treadmill. So um, so if we're not if we don't see how what we're doing today is taking us towards either that nice holiday or the weekend away or the ambition that we've got or whatever, then then it doesn't contribute to the vision and we lose sight of the vision. Um, and if the, the bit about uh, purpose that's that's critical is um, an exciting vision has to be coupled with a, a, an important purpose. This has to be important. Ha there has to be a reason to do it and a reason to invest myself into it and give it energy. Have I lost sight of the reason? And when I coupled those things back together again, I looked at these sessions entirely differently. What's the impact of doing this stuff well? You know, and from my point of view, I... I um, part of my personal purpose is I, I describe myself sometimes as a pebble chucker. Um, if I chuck a pebble into a pond, it sends out ripples. If I work with an exec team and we do a really great job and we help them become a better team and better leaders and build a better culture, it's not just that team of whatever it is, nine people. That will pervade out into the whole business. We can have an impact on a thousand people. Yeah. So so here's an opportunity. I'm, uh, this is an opportunity. If I do this session well, it's another pebble in the pond and we can send out more ripples. Ah. That's the reason to do it. So now it's not just stuff anymore. Um, so it's it's reconnecting back to the why that I think is really critical for people. And it has an enormous impact on motivation. Uh, and having, you know, I so said I had discussions. These were genuinely high performing people. They were they were C-suite people. They were, uh, in some cases, business owners, entrepreneurs and founders. You know, so it was their baby, their business. Um, and it, even if it was with, with athletes, you know, four-year Olympic cycles a long time um, a career for a professional athlete could span 15 years and if if they're not careful it just becomes another training session lost in the myriad of billions of other training sessions why is this one important why do I have to give this one my all what, what what's a practical tip on 
on trying to reconnect with the why and the purpose? I think just reflecting on it, well, understanding when you're caught in in what thinking, um, you know, and it's just transaction, it's just stuff and recognising it. And then just asking yourself, I took a few minutes out. Bizarrely, one of the things I did, because I've got a one page strategy document and in it, there's a little box that says vision. And yeah. I read it to myself and I thought, yeah. I actually laughed out loud. I thought, that's rubbish. That's pathetic. <laughs> Is that really an exciting vision or have I just written some words down? I kind of went, it's more, no, that's not exciting. That's that's kind of more of a what than a why. Um, yeah. What What is this really all about? Why am I doing it? What's exciting about it? And then I kind of went, right, just spend a minute on this before you do anything else. Um, and, and discovered what it was, scribbled a new note down to amend my one page strategy with a new vision um and and off i went again reconnected sometimes it takes a little bit longer it might be stuff that we take out on a walk you know maybe maybe if we've got a, a dog and we're going to go out for an hour maybe we take this stuff out on a dog walk with us or something like that but it's definitely worth uh reconnecting with and, and depending on how close we were with it to start with it might be that we've just lost sight of it a little bit or it might be that we fundamentally need to ask ourselves a few more big questions. So as well as um, doing in-house training with uh, teams uh, at, uh, at high levels, uh, one of the things um, that you offer is, is on a one-to-one -one basis and, and personal uh, side of things. And you've got, you've just launched a, uh, or recently launched a, a digital product, which is the B world class TV. Mm -hmm. Um, and you've got gems of all sorts of world-class performers and a treasure trove. What, tell, tell me more a, a bit about that and the purpose of that and, and what you think people could get from that. Uh, and I'll, mm -hmm. I'll put a link up on the, uh, the screen in a, in a moment as well. Mm. It B world class TV came about because, um, for years, we've been collecting up these absolute gems from world-class performers, uh, interviews that we've done, uh, conference interviews, or we've done dinner events, all those sorts of things. And these are people. They are world champions. They are world record holders. They are Michelin star chefs and uh, Olympic athletes and world-class leaders. And I knew that there was so much value uh, bound up in all of this stuff, but I, but I didn't have a way to share it. So we pulled together a really comprehensive program that helps people who, you know, really ambitious people who know that there's a bit more to get. They're doing really well, but they know that they haven't quite achieved their potential. And they also know that just being able to tap into the thinking of world class performers, just being able to. And, and it's designed to be absorbed over the course of you know a, a, a year or so, so that it just starts to become part of your own thinking you then start thinking like world-class people think. You take on challenges the same way that they would. Um, you can understand how they've developed the characteristics that they've got. So that instead of just saying, it would be really beneficial if I had a bit more tenacity or resilience or whatever, you actually understand how you can develop that stuff in yourself. Um, so, so this pieces together over the course of a year to help people uh, just, just genuinely start a journey towards becoming world-class um, rather than, just picking up another book or just watching another TED talk or whatever, because because most of the stuff that people do is kind of random and it's not really taking them in the direction that they want to go. Um, and 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 it's it, you know just acquiring more knowledge won't do the trick for us either. If we yeah. genuinely want to be successful, we've got to change us. 
Um, and so it's understanding that, you know, uh, we call our business be world class. This is called be world class TV, that the world class bit's important, but be is also important. You know, this is about becoming a, a person who can become world class. So we need to change ours. You've, you've segmented some of these things as well. So um, in the early months, it's around character and, and uh, world-class thinking. Um, mm. Just talk to me a, a tiny bit more about, about those. So within character, we look at how you develop characteristics um, like self-discipline, like courage, like tenacity and resilience and composure and, you know, those sorts of characteristics. Because when I look at world-class performers – they are differentiated on character. You know, they, it's characteristics that they have that others haven't. And a character is, is a part of us. You know, it's, it's, it's a fundamental part of us. And it drives lots of our thinking. Um, so, you know, if we, de- if we want to be more courageous, then we have to develop courage within ourselves so that we approach things differently, so that we've got a challenge in front of us. And instead of backing away, we approach it. So, so we've got to build these fundamental characteristics in, uh, you know, into our into our uh, into our being. Um, so that's why characters are particularly uh, critical in there. We also look at mindset, you know, how you develop focus, confidence, and motivation, and those sorts of things. But the sort of part of the sharp end is so how do we actually put this into practice, and how does it affect our thinking and our decision making? Um, and so the world class thinking uh, month that we've got and the episodes around it. Take examples of um, where world-class performers have met cha- hit challenges and the kinds of approaches and the kinds of thinking that they adopt in order to meet those challenges. And they, they honestly, they think very differently than most people do. Um, and, and if we can, again, just start to see how they do it, then we can approach a challenge differently ourselves. We can adopt some of that those principles ourselves. In, in, in one of the moments you talk about uh, simplicity, What's mm. uh, what is that? Is that getting rid of all the crap? What's what's that? What's that one all about? Yeah. So um, actually, you mentioned a, an Olympic athlete, Chris, earlier. Um, this comes from an understanding that Chris and I reached about three-ish years into our working relationship. So we worked together for about seven years as sports psychologist and athlete. Three years in, we actually genuinely understood what his job was, and it sounds ridiculous to say it took us three years to get there. Um, for the first three years, we got confused. We got confused because he's a competitive athlete. You know, he was trying to win medals and swim for Team GB and get onto the uh, funded programs, you know, the Olympic programs. So we thought his job might be to win um, or to get the records or break, you know, get medals or whatever. None of those things were his job. Um, it wasn't even to get sponsorship or anything like that. That wasn't his job either. His job, he was a 100-meter swimmer and he swam in a 50-meter pool. It took he and I three years to figure out that his job was to swim two lengths of the pool as fast as he could. And that was it. (laughs) But when we understood it, it was incredibly powerful. So the simplicity um, uh, element of Be World Class TV looks at how you can find your two lengths of the pool, your equivalent. Um, And understand the other thing I asked Chris at the time when we figured this out, I said, Tell me the top five things that you need to do, the most important five, the five that have the biggest impact on your performance. Tell me those. And to start with, he said, just five? And one of his big challenges was that he was an incredibly professional, diligent athlete. So if you'd have said to him, write down everything you can do to get quicker, he'll have written you 200 things. The problem is you can't do 200 things. 
not well anyway. Yep. So, so I said to him, give me the top five, the five that have the biggest impact. Because if we think about it logically, we need to nail these five before we worry about six, seven, eight, nine, or 10, because these five have the biggest impact. So, so we actually started to create what we called his five keys, the five things that we were going to focus on most heavily. And then make sure that over time, we relentlessly improve these five things. So let's score them on a zero to 10 basis. How good are you today? I might be a four, five, three, six, whatever. Great. How do we improve those? What do we have to do to get better? Because these are the five that drive your performance. These are the five most important. How on earth do we get better at these then? And then we started to become really focused. And it was and it was that process that took him from being nowhere in the world to becoming a double Olympian, Commonwealth champion, double Commonwealth champion, double Commonwealth record holder, seventh fastest in history. It was doing that for years. And when I say to people, the route to becoming world class is pretty simple. It's not complicated at all. You know, it's that process. They say, no, surely there must be more. No. Now, to do that consistently and relentlessly, you need some characteristics. So we have to build those in as well. But yep. that process is dead simple. And it worked for Chris and it's worked for loads of other people. And it worked for you as well. So um, so it's, it's being able to develop that kind of mindset, that simplicity and the, that relentless focus, I call it, um, to, to, to follow that path for years. I've, I, I also noticed one of the other months um, is around herding cats. Yeah. So, <laughs> what? Tell me more about that one. Um, well, when I was studying world-class teams, um, bizarrely, I didn't set out to study world-class leaders, but when I found world-class teams, I also found world-class leaders because they tend to go hand in hand. So I was looking at what differentiates world-class leaders. I also didn't stop at human teams because I wanted to find the best teams in the world. So I knew that orca pods are great teams and dolphin, uh, pods are great teams and, uh, elephant herds. And, you know, there, there are loads of great teams around the world that aren't human teams at all. So I actually uh, linked up with a guy at the University of York, a guy called Dr. Dan Franks, and spent some time with him studying animal teams and animal leadership. And it was through that process that I started to understand leadership in, in with real simplicity and clarity myself. The light bulbs went on. Uh, and I understood that at the heart of it, um, leadership works through influence not direction, instruction, authority, or anything like that. True leadership uh, is, is leadership through influence. And animal teams understand it brilliantly. So when, when we, you know, kind of when I'd started to put all of this together, originally I was going to write it as a chapter into, into my team working book, into, into Stronger Together. And then I decided, actually, this can live outside. This can live on its own um, as, a, as a standalone little book, which I called How to Herd Cats. Um, and it's really about how you galvanize a team of independent thinkers, people that have got their own egos, they've got their own agendas, they've got their own you know, kind of direction, self-interest, how you get those people to choose to go in the same direction, in the direction that we're going. Um, and, and to, you know, kind of, when I say buy into it, invest into it, why it's going to matter to them and be important to them as well. Um, so I wrote this. I was actually working with the law firm as well at the time, uh, an equity partner group in a law firm. And as I kind of uh, as I started chatting to the managing partner, he said, God, this is trying to this is like trying to herd cats. This is ridiculous. Um, and then I kind of got the idea that it's not just him that's got this cat herding challenge. <laughs> Lots of leaders have got this as well. So um, so that's why I've 
uh, sort of termed it all how to herd cats. I mean, you, you talked about the book just then. You've written, uh, I think, is it eight books? Uh, uh, you, know, we, you know, which is brilliant. Uh, where, if someone was was wanting to start out, where, which book should they? Would you point them to? Is that? I mean, I guess it depends. That there's different books for different things, but is the one is the one where where you could start? Um, it, quite a good start point for most people who are just trying to get their mental game into good shape, trying to simplify and clarify and perform better, is called Two Lengths of the Pool. It's the story yeah. about me working with Chris, the swimmer, uh, how we simplified his job and how you can simplify yours. Um, and and it, I think it's quite popular because lots of people ha have got that feeling that there aren't enough hours in the day. They're spinning too many plates. They're a little bit overwhelmed by it all. And they would just love to be able to do less and achieve more, simplify, clarify, really, really focus on the high priority stuff, the stuff that's going to make the big difference. And if they did that, they'd be far more effective. Yeah. So it's, that's a, a, a good little start point for, for anybody, I think. And, and I, I, I love the whole idea of Be World Class TV, and and uh, it sounds like there's some brilliant gems in there. Um, and um, and I think what you're saying is that, you know, if you're an ambitious uh, entrepreneur, maybe aspiring to be a, a an MD or C-suite or CEO, um, mm. that's who it's aimed at. That, yeah. that fair to say yeah yeah absolutely it's, uh, it's it's for those people that are doing pretty well but they're not satisfied yet um and yeah. they really want to um to they don't want to look back with any regrets they want to know they absolutely gave it everything and that they gave themselves the best possible chance of achieving the success that they they aspire to I've put the link on the screen. For those listening, it's um, the uh, beworldclass.com. So it's be-world-class.com. Uh, if you go to digital on there, uh, you'll get to the uh, correct link. But it's also in the chat as well. Um, and, uh, um, and and Simon, if people wanted to contact you uh, and just talk further, what's the best way to typically find you? Where, where do you hang out? What's, what's the best way to find you? Uh, so um, LinkedIn is a good way. Um, Hopefully you should find me on LinkedIn via our website. You can drop me a line via our website in the in the contact. Um, uh, I'm at World Class Simon on Twitter. Um, so connect with me on Twitter by all means. Yeah. Brilliant. This has been a, a really enjoyable conversation. Um, and uh, I could go on for a lot longer, but uh, we've run out of time. Uh, and um, But it's, it, yeah, I just find this whole thing fascinating. I really do. Uh, and, and, it it does come down to the three things that you've said time and time again, which is the mindset, the positivity, uh, and and having the resilience. Uh, mm. And um, and and I really like the, the that way of looking at it. Um, so yeah, I, I, thank you. I hope you've enjoyed this. I absolutely have. The time has flown. <laughs> it does fly, doesn't it? Thank you. Uh, if you've been listening, thank you so much for joining us. Um, and uh, and it's great to have you here. Thanks for watching. Uh, there'll be uh, many more live Q and A's coming up, so please keep an eye. Uh, subscribe or, uh, or or follow so that you keep an eye. But for now, Simon, thank you so much for joining us, um, and um, we will see you all soon. So take care. We'll see you soon. You've been listening to the Johnny Ross Audio Experience. Thanks so much for joining me. If you want to continue the conversation, head over to my website, fleek.marketing, or find me on LinkedIn. 
That's all for today. Please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, tag me in your social media posts, and please leave me a review on iTunes. It will make a huge difference for me. I will see you soon. Bye.